Well, hello, everyone. Last week, I dropped a bombshell on you guys. I really did. I told you last week that I believe God has designed for everyone who calls Jesus Christ, their Savior and Lord, a flourishing life. And I define flourishing as progressively experiencing the full dimensions of God's favor and blessings in this life and the next, and then that very important last part of the definition, and helping others do the same. And a part of what I laid out last week as we got started in this new series was, look, the Christian life was not meant to be drudgery. You know, just kind of hanging on by your fingernails, slugging your way through life, barely getting by, miserable on your way to glory land. A lot of people think that's what it's supposed to be, but Jesus talked about an abundant life, a life that's very full, a life that's joyful. And so I encouraged us last week to, to go after the whole buffet of all the benefits that Christ accomplished for us through his death on the cross. Will the Christian life have struggle? You bet it will. Is there commitment involved? Of course there is. Is there challenge? Yes. But it's also a life where we're called to Let the eyes of our heart be enlightened so that we can know the hope to which he's called us, like Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. It's a life truly of flourishing in every dimension. And I asked you last week that poignant question. In fact, I ask it over and over again. Are you flourishing? Well, I hope you've had some time to think about those things this week because these are important questions. We live in a world where this is kind of a hot topic, and I declare to you again today that I think Christians ought to have the inside track on flourishing. Not only do we flourish ourselves, but he's called us to be literally agents of flourishing in this world to help others flourish as well. But, but today, we need to have the hard conversation. Now, I, I gotta be, I'm just being totally candid with you. I'm looking forward to every other message as God has just kind of guided me to lay them out in this series. Trust me, they're going to be encouraging. I think every one of these messages is going to pump you up. I, I, I think you're going to not only have fun on the journey, but I think we're all going to learn a lot. But today's a bummer. Today's a bummer, folks, because I got to talk to you about flourishing's dirty little secret. I just cannot do a series on this without acknowledging where the problem really lies. So here, here's the dirty little secret. The truth of the matter is that while God does want Christians to flourish, where God does want us to live a flourishing life, the truth is we've all got some foolishness in us, and most of us have some fools around us. They may be sitting beside you right now. Hey, take a quick look out of the corner of your eye and see if there's any fools around you. Would you do that right now? If there are, just kind of wave at them and say, hey, fool, how you doing? I'm a fellow fool with you. I'm just another fool on the journey. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. 
Because to one degree or another, the Bible says we've all got foolishness in our hearts. And here's the truth. Because of this sin nature that we all have, because of this tendency to kind of do things our own way instead of the flourishing way that God designed us to live, it's going to frustrate our progress. To put it to you just a little bit differently, here's the truth about Rex Keener. I can be my own worst enemy at times when it comes to flourishing. And I'll bet that that's true of you as well. So what do we do about that? Well, that's what I want to unpack with you today. First of all, simple journey. I want to talk about the traits of a fool. What are these characteristics in this foolish life? And we're going to look at a number of things in the book of Proverbs and other places. And then I want to turn a corner and get a little happier because there's going to be a hard conversation in that because you know what? It's hard to look in the mirror at times, isn't it? But God's word is like a mirror that shows us how we really are. So we're going to do the hard conversation. Then we're going to turn a corner and we're going to start building and we're going to see how God wants to transform us foolish people if we find that foolishness in us. So here, that's where we're going today. I invite you along for the journey. First of all, what are the traits of a fool? My goodness, there are so many of them, but I do want to highlight a couple. The Bible declares that it's actually possible to live like a fool in this world. And if you do, kiss flourishing goodbye. In fact, you're going to flounder instead of flourish if you choose to play the fool. Proverbs 1.22 says, how long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Now, some of you, particularly if you're new to the Bible, you may be offended that I'm using the word fool in such a casual, cavalier fashion. Well, the Bible uses it a lot. In fact, would you believe me if I told you in the book of Proverbs alone, that's that book kind of toward the middle of your Bible, it actually uses the word fool 56 times. And would you also believe me if I told you that according to Proverbs, the fool has a couple of brothers. One of them's called the simple. That usually refers to a younger person who's going to grow up to be a fool unless he gets corrected. And he's just naive. He just doesn't know better because of a lack of life experience. And then the other brother in this terrible trio, oh, what a trio they are, the fool, the simple, the third brother is called the mocker. Now, depending on your translation of the Bible, it may say scoffer or scorner, but if you put all the appearances of these three brothers together just in the book of Proverbs, are you ready? It says 86 times that you can basically play the fool. And let me say it again, if you do that, you're not going to flourish. So what's the point here that I'm making? God loves you. I don't care who you are today or what you've done or where you are on the spiritual journey. It's like God is shouting through the pages of Scripture, don't play the fool. Don't play the fool. And don't let your life get sabotaged by fools. Yikes. 
Is that an in-your-face message or what? But that's what God is saying to you and to me. God wants us to flourish. But because of the foolishness in our own hearts and because of sometimes the foolish people around us, we can get sabotaged. Now, there's one little point I need to make clear before we go any further. Because some of you, especially if you're new to the Bible, you, you may not understand this part of what I'm describing. When God talks about foolish people, it has nothing to do with IQ. Are we clear on that? You know, you can take an IQ test. You can take all kinds of intellectual aptitude tests. You can take your SAT or your ACT. You can take your Miller analogy test. You can do your graduate record exam as a test. And all of these various tests measure intellectual or mental aptitude. Those are wonderful. And listen, if you're a really bright person, I hope you're thanking God for that. I'd rather be bright than not so bright. Amen. I mean, isn't it a cool thing when you meet smart people who've got good intellect? I love that. That's a great gift from God. Are you still with me? When God talks about the fool, it has nothing to do with mental aptitude. It has everything to do with mental attitude. Hope we're clear on that. Have you ever known some pretty smart people academically who were fools? Oh, my goodness. Prisons are full of them. Correctional facilities all over the place. People wreck their lives through foolish behavior of all different kinds, but intellectually, they're very, very smart people, okay? So how do you recognize what the Bible calls a fool? There are tons of traits. We don't have time to look at all of them. I just want to highlight two that I think are particularly relevant for our discussion on flourishing. Trait number one, he has opinions about everything and he's eager to share them. Do you work with any people like that? Are you married to a person like that? Do you have people in your home who are like that? They've got opinions about everything. Here's a couple of things the Bible says about this kind of person. The mouth of the fool gushes folly, okay? It's just like they're always vomiting, you know, out the mouth. All the things, all their opinions, they're trying to set everybody straight because they know they're right. Proverbs 18 says, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. So understand what we're describing here. This is a person who believes that they've got a real handle on all the big issues of life, and their goal is to set everybody else straight and make sure they know that I understand. I've got it figured out. Scripture goes on to say, do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. Why? Because he already knows everything. If you already know everything, you have no need to learn. Now, I hope you understand that it's important to have convictions. Wave at me, everybody. Wave at me if you heard that. It's important to have convictions. Boy, we teach that. I have pounded that teaching for 28 years at Grace. But here's the deal. I've said for 28 years, know what you believe and why you believe it. 
But when it comes to your convictions, these are things beyond the things that are essential and crystal clear in the Bible. Conviction issues. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of these issues. Here's what I've said. Please hold them with humility. Please don't be pompous. Please don't be arrogant and think that everybody has to see that exactly the way you do. And if they were as smart and wonderful as you, they would see it exactly the way you see it. No, no, no. Newsflash, fully committed Christians sometimes disagree. Did you know that? Is that a shock? They have for 2,000 years at least. People who truly love Jesus, fully committed, and are looking to the Bible as their authority, they still sometimes disagree on non-essential issues. You just got to embrace that. So don't be dogmatic, dictatorial, and demeaning toward your brothers and sisters who may disagree with you on some secondary or tertiary issue. But understand, the fool doesn't get what I just said. The fool has the attitude, look, I know I'm right, so don't confuse me with new information. I know I'm right, so don't confuse me with complexity or nuance. In fact, fools often act like this. Now, hear this part. What do you believe about that issue? And if you don't give them exactly the words they're looking for in at least five seconds, you are canceled, baby. You are out of my life. I want nothing to do with you because you're obviously wrong. What? Most of the important issues of our day are pretty complex. And yet our country and our world are filled, filled, with people that the Bible would describe as pretty foolish. They think they've got it all figured out and they love to air their opinions. You say, now, Pastor Rex, how do you feel about these kind of people? Can I trust you to be honest? Can I be honest with you? Can I trust you with this? You won't tell anybody, will you? Come on. These kind of people drive me nuts. Just being honest. I don't want to be around them. I want to get away from them. I want them to stop acting like everything is simple because it is not simple. Most of the major issues of our day are complex. They require some careful nuancing. It's not just this is absolutely right or this is absolutely wrong or there's no upsides or there's all downs. It's not that simple usually. So we need to be willing to have some conversations and actually listen and be humble enough to learn, okay? But the simpleton, the mocker, the fool, these are all Bible words, not my words. These are Bible words. They are too arrogant to learn anything. Second characteristic is very closely related to the first. In his pride, the fool is not open to learning. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
It goes on in the same chapter to say, fools hate knowledge. Now, you say, well, it's pretty awful, preacher, that people like that are out there in the world. Isn't that awful? Can I tell you? They actually come to church. Did you know that fools show up at church? They do. And when a fool comes to church, they don't come to church to learn from the word of God because remember, they already know everything, so they can't learn anything new. Fools come to set everybody else straight. And so whether the pre they come to decide if the preacher is right or wrong and they critique everything that goes on because they are correct. They are God's infallible guide and oracle for others. They are God's gift to the world. Now, I don't know if you've ever met any people like this, but I've been around way too many of them in my life, okay? They know it all, and they aren't humble and curious enough to learn anything new. So, can I, give you a, can I give you a challenge here? Here's the challenge. I would encourage all of you to be good Bereans. Do you know what I mean by that? The Bereans were a group of Christians from a place called Berea. Can you believe it? And the Bereans, it describes them in Acts 17, verse 11. It says, now these were more noble-minded than those Christians in Thessalonica. Why were they more noble-minded? because they examined the scriptures daily to see whether the things the apostle Paul taught, taught them were accurate or not. They compared what he said to scripture. Now listen, good Bereans are studying the scriptures daily precisely for one reason, because they don't have all the answers. You can't be a fool and be a good Berean at the same time. Good Bereans are humble and hungry. That's what makes them good Bereans. They're eager to learn. They realize they don't know everything. In fact, good Bereans understand there's a whole lot they don't know yet. And they want to be lifelong learners. And so they come to Scripture eager for the Holy Spirit to teach them through the written word. Is that you? Is it really you, or do you believe you've got everything figured out already? Proverbs 12 says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise person listens to advice. So what have we said so far? If you're going to be a flourishing person, you can't be a fool. You got to be a person who's humble, open to learning new things, understanding that you don't know everything yet. None of us knows everything yet. And a part of our growth in sanctification is that we're going to grow in wisdom and knowledge. We're going to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So that's what I hope for me. That's what I hope will be true of you. That's what I would love to see a church full of, people who really are fighting against their natural foolishness because we're all naturally foolish by nature, but God wants us to flourish. Now let's turn a corner. All that is negative. I'm so glad that's behind us, aren't you? Okay, so we're done with the negative parts. Now let's get on to something that's a little more encouraging. 
For the minutes we have remaining, I want to shift from the traits of a fool to the transformation of a fool. Because here's the good news. God never wants to point out things like that about us just to rub it in our face. He always points out our sin and our foolishness and our failures so they will be remedial. He wants us to be transformed. It's for our good. And I quickly want to present just three primary ways that I believe God can bring this transformation in our lives. The first one is through our family in the home context. Parents, I want to say a word to you right now. You, parents, can help set your children up for flourishing. Now, you cannot guarantee it. You cannot assure it because you do not have control over their will. You wish you did, but you don't. They are ultimately going to make decisions for themselves and choose whether they want to play the fool or whether they want to flourish the way God designed it. That's going to ultimately be up to them. But you can set them up to flourish and give them an inside track on it. Proverbs 22 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but discipline will drive it far from him. Scripture teaches that we're all born with this sinful nature that inexorably leads us to sin. Have you noticed that in your kids? Did you have to teach your kids to sin? Debbie and I, as parents, noticed when our kids were really young. It's the most amazing thing. Where did they get these tendencies? We didn't have to teach them to be selfish. We didn't sit down one time and give them a lesson on territorialism. Not one time did we sit down and say to them, now here's how to be jealous. In fact, I noticed very early on when they were less than five years old, it was pretty clear that our children had inherited a sin nature from their mother. And yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's the way it works, something like that. And so folly is natural in the heart of a child and left to themselves. Proverbs 29, 15 says, a child left to himself is going to disgrace his mother. So these things need to be addressed in the home. So parents, just asking you, how are you doing with that? Boy, it's not easy, is it? Wow. Not easy. Scripture gives a challenge, particularly to fathers, but I think this is for moms and dads. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And yet I was reading one article this week that gave me, it just stunned me. I had to literally sit and try to drink in what I was reading. Clifton Chadwick in Lifestyle Magazine was reporting on research that had been done, and he said the average number of minutes a father spends talking to his children is seven per day. Chadwick goes on to say, you cannot shape and form your children in seven minutes a day. Boy, is that an understatement or what? So parents, I would urge you to start early and stay consistent. I would urge you to carve out, if you can, at least four evenings a week. Oh, I know you got a lot going on, but try to minimize the distractions, minimize the technology, sit around a table, sit somewhere, eat together, 
and talk to your children. Ask them questions and listen. Study after study has shown how revolutionary it can be in the life of a child to have that kind of time with their parents. It is simply amazing. So make sure that you have that kind of appropriate structure and discipline in the home because it works. Proverbs 21 says, when a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. When a wise man is instructed, he gets knowledge. Appropriate discipline just works. Now, before we quickly leave this and move on, some of you are listening to all this and you're going, wow, I didn't have that kind of family life when I was growing up. Hey, guess what? I didn't either. My family had lots of upsides, but boy, we had some dysfunctional downsides. I'll bet yours did too, right? Can I tell you the good news? The good news is while you cannot rewrite the past, you can greatly impact the present and the future. And so parents, boldly take hold of this. Start early, stay consistent, follow through. And if you do, your family has a great opportunity to flourish. So that's one of the ways that God uses to, to help us flourish in life. And it's just incredible. You can overcome a bad upbringing. You really can. We've got many examples in our church family of people who had horrible, even abusive backgrounds. But by God's grace, he's enabled them to flourish. But I want to tell you, when you get it right in the home, you're really setting your family up to flourish. A second thing God uses, I believe, is friends. Friends. And many of these friends are going to be wise Christian friends that God uses. Proverbs 28 says, he who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. So let me ask you, what are your friends like? No, really, the people you hang out, you know, you know the ones you go out to eat with, you know the ones that you talk to, the ones you hang out with on your patio, the ones you do barbecues with, the ones you go play golf with, the ones you shop with perhaps, the one you have conversation with. Listen, do you have the kinds of friendships where you're always just puffing each other up, never going very deep, or do you have the kind of friendships where they're solid enough, stable enough that you could actually rebuke or challenge your friends and they could hear it because they know you care? And are you the kind of person who can actually hear some challenge and rebuke? And if you're not, I honestly feel sorry for you. I mean that sincerely because if you're not the kind of person who is humble enough to be challenged you're never going to flourish. You're going to end up playing the fool far more often than you should. This past Thursday, I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary over in the North Shore of Massachusetts. And uh, I've had the opportunity sort of in an adjunct role to teach there for many years now in different ways and speak in that area. And in this particular uh, Thursday afternoon class, it was a group of doctoral students, 13 of them who are working on their, their doctoral degrees. And they, they've been together in a cohort. 
You know what a cohort is? It's a group of students who kind of start the journey together and they try to stay together over the course of their doctoral work. So they've had numerous colloquia together and this was yet another class. And so I spoke to them about some of the dynamics of leadership and life in the local church. It was an awesome experience. I learned, I believe they learned but here's the thing I noticed about these, this particular group of 13 students. Because they had been together for two years now in this cohort, relationships were going deeper. You see, this wasn't just a one-time deal. They weren't brand new to each other. They knew each other pretty well, and they knew the dynamics, and there was a trust there. So here's what I noticed that I had never seen before in a classroom ever. I saw students challenging one another. So, you know, I think you ought to think about that a little differently. Well, here's what I hear you saying, but here's what I think you may be overlooking right now. I had never seen much of that dynamic in a class. I'd always seen students just trying to be nice to each other. And I thought, wow, these students, these leaders are going to flourish because they're getting the best out of each other. I hope you have some friends in your life like that. Now, before I leave this and hit our final point, I just want to say a word to you married people out there. Oh, you married people. Is your spouse that kind of friend to you? Do you have the kind of relationship with your spouse where you can actually bring challenge to each other, and yet the relationship is so stable, so solid, it's like iron sharpening iron. I thank God that Debbie and I have a relationship that for 31 years we've been able to help each other get better. Recently, I asked her to kind of look at my schedule and speak to some of the things in my schedule. And so she took a candid look at it, how I was spending my time. And as I requested, she gave some advice. And she, she pointed out what few people probably would have had the character and the courage to say. She gently demonstrated how much time I typically spend on things that are not really my primary calling or passion. And she had, can you believe that woman? She had the audacity to ask me why. And my answers were lame. Like, well, I'm just concerned about this. And my excuses were so shallow and so lame. And so she lovingly helped me schedule my priorities so that I can be more effective in the kingdom, hopefully, than ever, folks. That's just indicative of what Debbie has done for me for 31 years, and I've done the same for her. It is a huge gift from God. If you have a spouse like that, I hope you do. God uses family. God uses friends. And one final word to transform us out of our foolish behavior it happens through our Father in heaven. If you belong to Jesus today, did you know you have a heavenly Father who loves you so much he will not leave you the way you are? 
If you are going down foolish roads and getting off the pathway of flourishing, he's going to bring discipline into your life. He will, he will indeed. Proverbs says, my son or daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, now hear me, this discipline that God brings is not an expression of anger or rejection or exasperation. It is an expression of love. And just like a wise, loving, heavenly father brings discipline into the life of the child that he loves, our heavenly father brings discipline in our lives. And the intention is always so that we would flourish. So what have we said today? On this message, that'll be the hardest to hear of anyone in the series. What have we said? God wants you to flourish. I hope you get that part. But because of the foolishness in us and sometimes the fools around us, our progress is frustrated. And I just wonder, I just can't help but wonder has your progress been frustrated? Are there things in your life right now that are holding you back? You see, what God wants to do, it's called the sanctification process, basically. That's God's answer to flourishing. He wants us to go for it. He wants us to deal with the foolishness inside and the foolishness around us. And that's where we're going in this series. I invite you along for the journey because I'm so thankful we have a heavenly father who does not leave us the way we are. He loves us so much. He brings transformation into our lives. Father, thank you that we can be on this journey together. And even though sometimes the truths are hard, I thank you that there are things we need to hear. Father, would you bring the transformation that we yearn for. I pray that the goal of this series, as we talk in the future about relationships and suffering and how you want us to bring flourishing to others, I pray that as a result of this series, there would literally be a revolution, an utter revolution of flourishing that would go on in this church body. Father, thank you for your love. And thank you that you care so much about us. You literally want the best. What a God you are. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.